0: Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised.
1: This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death.
0: This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi, I'm Christina.
1: And I'm Crystal. Welcome, Welcome to
0: Crime Night. Night. Tonight's episode will be about Stephen B. Williams. Stephen Bailey Williams was born on May 14, 1947. He had an older sister named Jan, and she was born on January 21st, 1945. Stephen's father was a well-decorated Air Force pilot um, who flew combat and spy missions during World War II and the Vietnam War. Um, Also during his time in the Air Force, he worked as a CIA agent, and he worked as a U-2 pilot. His father also was involved in the Francis Gary Powers um, mission, Francis Gary Powers was a Air Force pilot, and he actually flew in a mission um, over Russia. At that time, they had a lot of nuclear devices there and stuff like that. So um, in order to kind of try to control what was going on in countries. So um, at that time, he was flying over Russia, and they actually shot his airplane down and captured him and they detained him. Um, He was there for um, two years. And at that point, the United States made a deal with Russia that they would exchange one of their KGB agents that they have had for approximately 20 years um, for Francis Gary Powers. So they actually did the exchange and he came home and the KGB agent actually got sent back to Russia um, there was actually a movie that came out in 2015. It was a historical drama movie called Bridge of Spies. And that was actually based off that mission. So his dad was kind of famous in a way through the military.
1: Um. So Stephen has been described as being gregarious and charismatic. He was passionate about others. He also had a love of music and he had um, what has been described as an amazing voice it was unique um, booming voice perfect for being on radio so he was actually a radio dj um Mm -hmm. in hawaii where he was living at the time and he had worked at several different uh, radio stations while there in hawaii and he actually became a legendary dj during his time there Hmm. Eventually, he moved to Denver, Colorado, where he continued his DJ work. And while he was there, he actually was on a morning radio show with a man named Don Hawking. And it was on the KBPI radio station, which was the number one station in Denver at the time. And they had their morning show um, was called Stephen B. and the Hawk. And they actually had won multiple awards for their radio show. It was a very popular show. And um, they were popular personalities during their time on the station. And Stephen was actually known as the Magnemus Mid-Morning Mouth. And Don actually eventually ended up passing away from a routine surgery in the mid-90s. Although some people have... Claim that he actually drank himself to death, so I'm guessing the surgery may have had something to do with the past of drinking, yeah, like, on, you know, his a, on liver a particular or organ or something mm-hmm.
0: that was damaged, maybe, or maybe mm-hmm. he had cancer, or maybe he was just having a gallbladder removal and yeah, his body just yeah. couldn't, yeah, we couldn't take find take it. Find- they had um, in my search and stuff like that. I found some of the clips from their morning radio show and. Mm-hmm. He had a very nice voice, like a very well articulated radio voice. So mm-hmm. I had a—he would have been a good one to listen to. I could see why people were drawn to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was—he had a very nice voice, nice soothing, and
1: a voice that yeah. was very popular yes. at that
0: time. Yep. So as time changed, um, so did the voices on the air. And Stephen B's big booming voice that he had, that he was known for was no longer suited for radio um, so the station actually decided to go in a different direction and he was basically forced to retire from the radio station in Denver um, Stephen actually moved to Southern California and um, he moved there because his father had lived there and his father was ailing so he moved there to help take care of him and be closer to him and It'd be closer to him yes yeah, so if anything happens yeah. he's He's there and could help mm-hmm. take care of them. While he was in Southern California, he did um, voiceovers for different different things. Um, he also worked at a, another radio station down there in Southern California for a short period of time. Um, he also did odd jobs. He also worked at a winery that was um, in Napa Valley that a relative of his had owned. So he had went and work there for a period of time as well. Um they offered him a a sizable job of being a host there. So that would have been good for him especially with his type of voice he had. I think he would have done well there, but it just wasn't suited for him. He was looking to do other things. I know he he was a very good cook. Um he wanted to go to culinary school, so he wanted to become a chef. So he had big dreams, big goals in life as well.
1: and he seemed like somebody who liked to follow his mm. his dreams. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: very much so. Very much so. I don't think he was gonna let anything get in the way necessarily if, if he could if, if he, he could, could all... do it, he was yeah. gonna
1: yep. if he had the opportunity, he was gonna yep. take it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Despite Steven making about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, which today would be closer to eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars, he was Poor with his money management, and he would, you know, just spend his money fervorously. And at one point, he actually even neglected to pay his taxes for eight years. So with making two hundred fifty to see that bill, (laughs) two hundred fifty thousand dollars, not paying taxes—that's probably a nice chunk (laughs) of change, especially because you know they put interest. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Of course. Mm-hmm. because of Steven's financial issues at one point he was actually living out of his car for a period of time and during you know the point where he was you know struggling financially he actually met with an old friend named Robert Knight who is actually also from Hawaii so there's a lot of oh. connection to Hawaii here <laughs> they must like sense each other and are drawn <laughs> to each other or something. Yes. Or you probably just have yep, common in and with them. Yeah. Common stuff. Mm-hmm. So like if you meet somebody who's from originally from the same place, you're probably going to connect with them better than somebody yeah. else because you're going to have at least that common. Right. Hey, where ground. are you from? Oh, I'm from white. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, so then you already yeah. have something in common. You've already you bonded to... with them over yeah. your mm-hmm. roots. Yes. hmm So Robert was actually living in L.A and offered to help um, Stephen find a place there. Um, and in an interview, he actually mentioned that Steven's, you know, desirable radio voice was what made his career as a radio DJ, but it was also what destroyed his career because as times changed and what people wanted from their radio DJs changed, he, his voice was no longer desirable anymore. Mm-hmm. So it made his career, and it also broke his career.
0: Stephen's father did end up passing away in two thousand and three. So after his passing, Stephen actually inherited his home, which was in Newport Beach, California, and the house itself was worth um, right roughly around two million dollars. Um, so at that time, a two million dollar house is
1: would be a lot um, more so today. A lot more today,
0: yes. <laughs> So it was a sizable amount um, that he would have gained if he would have sold the house. Mm -hmm. Also, he inherited roughly around an additional $2 million with stocks and bonds that he actually found um, in his father's home. Right around this time, he also met a man named Harvey Morrow. Now, Harvey introduced himself to Stephen. He somehow recognized him from off of the radio, from in Denver, somehow, and they got talking, and Harvey said, I'm, been, I was an investment banker, been st- on Wall Street, you know, I know the ins and outs, if you need help, I'm, I'm willing to help you with your newfound fortune, um, so Stephen said, sure, and gave him Approximately $1.8 million to invest um, on behalf of the estate. That is a
1: lot of money to invest with somebody you just met, I mm-hmm. think. I would think it would be more reliable to invest with a company that, yeah. like a, a known than company a, that, that a already Joe does off that. off the road yeah. <laughs> that so you just met. Guy.
0: And he's a former banker and Wall Street investor yes. and everything's former, yeah. so... Yeah. What's he doing now? Granted, if he would have been doing that, that would have been He could he'd... have
1: retired. Right. And he would have been making his money in there, I guess. Oh, Stressful yeah. career. Oh. And, yeah. and I'm sure Stephen saw Harvey's lifestyle and was like, well, mm-hmm. he clearly is doing well, so he mm-hmm. knows how to manage money. Right, right. So I might as well
0: invest with him. If he did mm-hmm. this well for himself, I can only imagine what he can do for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So Harvey actually... Had a home, and he also had a uh, luxurious sixty-five foot yacht.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I mean, that's a big, that's yes. a big boat. <laughs> so
1: he definitely had a luxurious lifestyle yes. that was yes. fitting of a former banker, investor Wall Street banker, investor. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Now Harvey was actually married, um, and him his wife's dream was when she retired that she wanted to travel around the world. On a boat so this is hence why where the 65 foot yacht comes into play mm-hmm. this was what they were going to do when she retired mm-hmm. she was still working at this point um making money for you know everyday bills i'm gathering that kind mm-hmm. of stuff um so she, it, the boat the yacht sorry the yacht needed work to be done on it mm-hmm. harvey wanted to have it fixed up top of the line everything Um, so the couple had this, this great plan that they were going to travel the world on this yacht. Mm -hmm. And then with Steven becoming their newfound friend, he loved cooking. He wanted to go to school to be a chef. He was a very good cook Mm -hmm. from reports of what his friends had said. So they thought it would be a fabulous idea for him to come on the yacht with them and be basically their personal chef. Um, So, this is what he was going to do. He was going to be traveling around the world with the couple and be their chef. The luxurious lot included um, having a fireplace. It had a teak deck. Get a load of this one. A $50,000 washer and dryer.
1: I want to know what this washer and dryer did. $50,000. $50,000 in the 90s. What did this washer and dryer do? 2000s early 2000s okay early 2000s i don't know i want to know better steamed,
0: folded hung up my clothes for me and everything else
1: <laughs> yeah just I, <laughs> I should be able to just throw it down the laundry shoe and then it does it, for it, me. Does it for, everything for me
0: <laughs> it's, it's crazy i couldn't believe it um and he also also have flat screen tvs and other electronic gadgets that was well worth over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars so he put a lot of money into this yacht. Yes.
1: So Stephen assumed that Harvey had made his money from being successful within the banking world. Mm-hmm. However, Harvey actually had put Stephen's money in an offshore account, which is what he was supposed to do. But then he started taking out small amounts, which I'm sure at $1.8 million, small amounts aren't weren't that small. Right, right. So he's taking up small Mm -hmm. amounts to, you know, fix up his yacht and to use for, you know, other personal expenses. And after three years, Stephen began to, you know, grow suspicious of Harvey after he had went out to dinner with a friend. And the friend was, you know, questioned him because he wasn't able, he didn't have the money to pay for his own dinner despite having, you know, this large inheritance and he was still um supporting himself doing voiceover work at the time as well so the friend thought it was kind of strange that he didn't have access to his own money Mm -hmm. that he should you know be able to access it you have to have something to live off of yeah exactly yeah so you know that kind of got um steven's mind working and he started growing suspicious so on April 27th of 2006, Stephen actually told his friends that he was going to confront Harvey about the money and that he was gonna you know, get access to the money and get his, all his money back. And he was actually last seen alive a week later on May 4th at the boat marina that the yacht uh, was docked at.
0: On May 18th,
1: 2006, a body was
0: found floating approximately six to seven miles off of the west end of the Catalina Islands um, by a boater on a passing by yacht. The body appeared to be in the water for approximately two weeks, and it already had showed signs of decomp. Um, it also, they couldn't tell whether it was a male or a female. That's that's how long it would have been in the water. It, it just was in really bad, bad shape.
1: Yeah, heavy decomposition. Yeah, mm-hmm. very
0: heavy. Uh, The victim was originally thought to have been a drowning victim. However, the body had no ID on it, um, so they could not identify him, um, and they labeled him as a John Doe. After they brought the body to the medical examiner, the medical examiner realized that there the tips of three of the fingers on the left hand were missing. So this was a unique trait, um, and this they were hoping would be... Something that would make them stand out when somebody tried to say, "Hey, I'm missing a family member or a friend, and this is this is the unique trait that's mm-hmm. about this person." So they were hoping that that was going to stand out and that they'd be able to help identify, help identify mm-hmm. him rather quickly. Um, the fingers actually appeared to have been missing for quite some time, so it was an accident that happened a long time ago. Years nothing ago. recently. Yes, and so nothing to do with the death. Correct. The medical examiner also realized that the victim had a gunshot wound in the back of the head, just a single
1: gunshot wound. Around the time that Stephen went missing, his friend Robert Knight was working on a documentary about remote viewers who were working with the CIA as psychic spies. So remote viewing is the ability to gather information about a distant person or place, and it is a trained skill used by the military and CIA. I never even knew this existed. Yes, I don't know if they still use that to this day or whatnot, so Mm -hmm. it's interesting. That's why it's part of
0: the CIA, because it's secret
1: kind of stuff. that You don't really buy stuff.
0: You really don't hear about, yeah.
1: So while working on the documentary, he asked one of the remote viewers, Angela Thompson-Smith, about his missing friend, Steven. Angela, along with six other remote viewers that she worked with, came to the conclusion that Steven was floating six miles off Catalina Island after being shot in the head by a business associate on a yacht. So one night after Angela had told, given him this information, Robert and his wife actually saw a special news bulletin on the 11 p.m. news in LA about a body that was found floating in the Catalina channel so the following morning Robert contacted the coroner's office and told him that his friend Stephen who had been missing actually had a unique trait that his left hand had three of his fingertips that were missing from a shop class accident that happened when they were in ninth grade and so they kind of took Robert's name a number and told him that, you know, he'd be calling him back.
0: The L.A. Sheriff's Department actually reached out to Robert to obtain some more information from him regarding the case. Afraid of being labeled as a murderer, Robert didn't want to tell them about the remote viewer because he was afraid that they were going to think that he was a little crazy and kind of made him seem a little more suspicious of, mm-hmm. of being involved.
1: Yeah, he had all this information that... Yeah.
0: I, I can understand why he would have been nervous. I, I would have probably felt the same way. So Robert actually reached out to a friend that he had worked with in the past who was in the CIA and um, was friends with the head of the L.A. Sheriff Department. Um, reached out to him, his name was Sid, and um, he kinda the CIA agent gave a little bit of information on what was going on with Robert and asked if, if he would be willing to call his, his workers back in LA to let them know what was going on and that they know who these remote viewers are and they've used them and they trust them and they know all about this program that they run Mm -hmm. and whatever Robert says, it's true. He's not lying. So it all worked out. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. Sid actually contacted LA Sheriff Department, talked to the two people that were working on this case, let them know that yes, believe whatever he tells you, I will explain it to you later, but he's telling you the truth. He's Mm -hmm. not lying. He is not the murderer. So with this information that he had from Angela and knowing Stephen's situation, Robert actually gave the Sheriff's Department Harvey's name Mm -hmm. saying he would be the prime suspect. He's been hanging out with him, helping him work on this yacht, they're mm-hmm. going to take a trip around the world, they've got all these plans. So he did the finger pointing, he, he figured out. And the financial out.
1: situation yes. that was going on between yeah. the two of them. Mm-hmm. And as you
0: stated earlier, they're a very close group of friends. I mean, he mm-hmm. had a very, very close group of friends that knew mm-hmm. everything about each other, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were they were they were good to um, listen to. The LA detectives actually examined um phone records, bank records, uh GPS device, and they were able to track the yacht on the night of Stephen's disappearance. So they had some concrete information on that. And Stephen and Harvey actually sailed to the back side of the Catalina Islands and they kind of slowly traveled around back there for several hours before returning back to San Pedro where the yacht was docked. It is believed that Stephen was shot when they were on the back side of the island and either fell over the side of the, the yacht or was pushed, out, pushed or over thrown or, or thrown out or, or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the murder weapon
1: was never located. So I'm guessing he probably threw it in like the, the, water. the channel because it Current, mm-hmm. draw it out. Probably. And not just that, they probably aren't going to have people, like they're not going to have divers down there looking for it if it's, if they already could convict him with the information they have. Right. Like they wouldn't want to spend mm-hmm. the extra money on resources when they don't really need that piece of evidence. After the Yacht was docked, Harvey drove from San Pedro up to
0: Bishop with a group of his friends to go on a fishing trip, um, which that he was going to actually use as his alibi later on during trial. So he had already plotted that if he got caught that this was going to be his cover, Mm -hmm. his alibi. However, Harvey's friends actually later testified that Harvey looked tired and disheveled and that he slept the entire drive from San Pedro up to Bishop was approximately a five-hour drive so he slept the entire time so he was definitely very tired
1: so after Stephen went missing before they found his body his friends actually confronted harvey about steven's whereabouts um because you know none of them knew and then they knew his relationship with harvey so they asked him you know if he knew where he was where he went and harvey had told him multiple different stories um so that was you know that made them suspicious he would told one person that Stephen moved to hawaii he told another person that he had gone to mexico so his friends were very suspicious and they didn't believe him since he was telling you know different stories he didn't have and one elaborate story too mm. just like he picked up and moved yeah or yeah and they it wasn't like Stephen to just not Tell them something like that mm-hmm. as well. So they actually contacted the sheriff's deputies and they ended up helping, you know, the sheriff's department immensely during the investigation of um, Stephen's murder as well.
0: Interesting enough,
1: shortly after
0: Stephen's disappearance, Harvey fled California and he resurfaced in Montana and he was working at a car dealership. There he told a co worker, Joe Parsetic that he moved to Montana because his wife died um, in a boating accident in the Gulf of Mexico. And with California, where he was living was right there on the water. He no longer wanted to live on the ocean and said he wanted to start a new life, which if that's the true story, that would be very understandable. Mm
1: -hmm. So Joe was a curious person and he. You know, want to know more about Harvey's story, and as a former police officer, he um, searched online for details about this boating accident and Harvey's wife's death. Well, instead of finding information on this accident, he actually ended up finding information from a Denver news station citing Harvey as a person of interest in Stephen's death. So at this point, Joe actually contacted his friend at the Cascade County Sheriff's Department in Montana. And about a week later, Harvey was taken into custody. Harvey,
0: who claimed his innocence, um, was actually held without bail for five years um, until the trial started. On November 9th, 2011, a jury in Long Beach convicted Harvey of first-degree murder and murder for financial gain of the Stephen B. Williams murder. On December 16th, 2011, Harvey was sentenced to life in prison without parole plus 25
1: years. So during the investigation, police actually confiscated the yacht and steven's sister actually fought to get the money from the sale of the yacht however she ended up passing away before a settlement was reached harvey's wife also claimed that the money from the sale of the yacht should be hers as it would be like a marital asset since it was harvey's yacht um, despite the fact that he paid for it with steven's money Mm. so the profit from the sale of the yacht, which was about $200,000, actually went into Stephen's estate.
0: Knowing that the yacht was basically funded by Stephen's money, and I'm sure at that point it was figured out that this was funded mm-hmm. by Stephen's money, I was surprised that his wife tried to go after it,
1: but I could see. I mean. Yeah, and then we don't know if she knew.
0: You yeah. know, where he was getting
1: this money from or what, who knows, sometimes.
0: I know just from hearing an interview with her, she did not realize that this was happening. She mm-hmm. was innocent of, of, of knowing, having knowledge of any of this. She mm-hmm. was still working. She thought she was still working to help pay for this as well. So, I mean, she was
1: an innocent party and in all this. And I would guess he probably was the one who took care of the finances, so she probably didn't question mm-hmm. anything. Right, With his background, <laughs> I'm sure he, he is, <laughs> is. If that was really his background. Right, that is. Makes you wonder. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. You can find our sources on our website listed in the podcast description.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast.
1: Please join us every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. Good night. Good night.